Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, Simon, behold, the enemy has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you are converted, go ahead and strengthen your brethren. Now, the good news is this, is even though the enemy comes, we have a great intercessor seated at the right hand of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is praying for us in our situation. Amen? Amen. Now, the word sift there means to separate. It means to break into pieces. It means to shake, to shatter, or discourage. So the enemy's plan is to drain, to weaken, to wear down our faith through continual pressure, disappointments, and discouragements. He wants us to back off and back down from using our faith so that we will not take a strong stand about what belongs to us. He wants us to live in a constant state of retreat. The Apostle Paul knew much about the enemy coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And there are some things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul today, I believe, that will help us, that will encourage us in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, he says, Of the Jews I received forty stripes except one. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. He said, I've been in the deep a night and a day. He says, I've traveled often in perils of waters, of robbers, by my own countrymen, from heathen in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. And that's a rough one. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, and in cold and in nakedness. Somebody said, well, I thought this was the great apostle Paul. I thought that he was absolutely positively in the will of God. He was in the will of God. Therefore, demonic strategies tried to sift him as wheat. So take heart, heart of the bay. Even though trouble comes, we can trouble our trouble because we are more than conquerors in the midst of trouble through him that loves us. But I want you to notice that Paul had the right heart in the midst of these things. And there's some things that he did, and there are some things that he didn't do, which enabled him to go all the way to the finish line for what God had called him to do. And God has a finish line for you, and God has a finish line for me. Amen? The title of my message this morning is, What or Who Are You Yielding To? What or who are you yielding to? It makes all the difference in the world concerning your life and your walk with God. There are many forces out there that we can yield to. And let's look at this and unpack this by something Paul said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 8... I want you to notice that verse, if we could. Thank you. The Apostle Paul did not say that I've never faced trouble. Rather, he said, we are troubled on every side. 
Probably in about 90% of the Word of Faith churches, they'd say, Oh, Paul, don't say that. Don't say that. That's a bad confession. We are troubled on every side. Now, notice the next few words. Yet. Paul said, I am not distressed about the trouble that has come to me. Now, I looked the word distressed up, and it means to suffer from anxiety. To have sorrow in our lives or pain. To the point of literally being impoverished. Well, I'll tell you what, Pastor Mark. When the trouble stops, then I'll not be distressed. But I'm telling you that you have the authority, the power, the grace, and the unction not to yield to the distress in the midst of trouble. If you will live your life by trust, if you will live your life by faith, if you will stay hooked up with the vine, you do not have to be distressed. Now, you're looking at a man of God here today that is in complete rest and in complete peace, but I have not always been that way. I have had ample opportunity to be distressed, and I would not lie to you, I have yielded to distress many times in my life. But today, I stand before you, spirit-filled, faith-filled, peace-filled, rest-filled. And you can make the same turn and round the same corner that this pastor has. Come on, somebody. Help the preacher out today. Choose life. Choose peace. Say it with me. I'm not distressed. Never, ever. See, what happens when we yield to worry and distress and anxiety, what happens is that encourages the enemy. It encourages the enemy. Now listen to this statement. Once he's given you his best shot and you seem unfazed by it, it will discourage him. I got hit one time real hard in the ribs when I was playing basketball. And the guy that I was playing with saw it. He said, okay, let's get someone in from the bench. I said, no, I'm going to continue to play. And not that I'm such a hero. But listen, sometimes in the midst of pain, you've got to continue to run. You've got to continue to walk. You've got to continue to get up. Come on, get up in the morning. You've got to continue to raise your hands when you don't feel like raising your hands. You've got to continue to ha, 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 ha when you'd rather boo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> Paul was a man of God who had a divine appointment from God. He was called, he was ordained, and he had a destination. And his destination was to go to Rome to meet Caesar. This was the call of God upon the Apostle Paul's life. And so he said, okay, trouble has come, but I'm not going to yield to it. Yeah, there's been some perplexion. There's been some potential confusion, but I'm not in despair. I've been knocked down, but praise God, by the grace of God, I'm getting back up. Look at your neighbor and say, knocked down, but never knocked out. 
So I'd like to pick this up in Acts chapter 27. And I want us to begin in verse 10. And let's look at how the Apostle Paul handled the choice either to be distressed or to yield to what God had spoken to him. And it's a decision we make every day. And so they were to get on a ship to go to Rome. And the Apostle Paul in his spirit just knew that trouble was on its way. How many of you have just known down on the inside, it perceived in your spirit that you should not drive home that way. You should go another way. What do you do when you get that? You go the way God wants you to go. Amen? So Paul had this witness on the inside of him. And he said in verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and damage. Not only the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Now notice in verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Sometimes we face a storm, not so much because of our disobedience. Sometimes we, like Jonah did, sometimes we face a storm, not so much by the great, great, clouds that come against us because it's a demonic attack. Sometimes we face a storm because of other people's disobedience. But Paul wasn't about to get off that ship because he knew no matter what, he was going to make it to Rome. And that's the kind of attitude you must have and I must have. No matter what, we're going to make it. We're going to get through this disease. We're going to get through this lack. We're going to get this through this rebellion of our children. We're going to get through this in our nation. We're going to make it to the other side. Come hell or high water, the spirit of faith will get us to the other side. That is the spirit of faith. And Dad Hagen said this, the spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. You're going to make it. You are going to make it. I am going to make it. This church is going to make it. You are going to make it. I haven't made it yet. Well, you're on a journey. Just keep moving. Just keep praising. Just keep reading. Just keep confessing. Just keep praying. Just Just keep doing the things that are right and everything will turn for your good. I don't feel like I'm going to make it. We don't live by feel like. We don't live by the seen realm. We live by the unseen realm. We don't live by the temporary realm. We live by the eternal realm. We don't, oh, shalabasata. We don't live by the natural realm. We live by the supernatural power of Almighty God. That just felt real good right there. 
to point to you and you and you, you are going to make it. Yeah, but I haven't arrived. Rejoice on the trip. The scenery isn't all that bad. You got food on your plate, coffee in your cup. You're not living under the bridge. And PG&E is still on. Come on, somebody shout, I'm going to make it. Going to make it. Going to make it, going to make it, going to make it. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship much more than those things were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence. And they came up to Crete, and in verse 13 it says, And when the south wind blew softly, you've got to be very careful when the south wind blows softly. Just because things are blowing softly does not mean that we should traipse out into danger. Amen? Supposing that they have obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they failed close by the Crete. But verse 14 says, but, but not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurekledon. That is a bad storm with bad intentions. And in verse 18, let's drop down there. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. Don't you know that the opportunity for Paul to be distressed was knocking on his soul? They're lightening in the ship. Next thing it'll be me. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest laid us on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But Paul, being a man of God, lived a lifestyle of waiting on God. At this time, he was not anointed like Jesus was to stand up and to speak to that storm and command it to be still. What he was anointed to do is get on his face before God and lay aside the weights and live like he had lived in prior days and in prior years. He waited out God. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do when you don't know what to do. Go to the rock that is higher than you. He'll always make a way of escape. He'll always cause you to triumph. After long abstinence, a good friend of mine had ministered something to me along this line. Let, just left me a, a message on the phone. And the thought was this, that, that Paul lived that way. He didn't wait until the storm came. Paul was a man of God who lived that way. He was ready. Are we ready? The answer is yes, Lord, yes. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Here's another sirs for you. Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and you should not have loosed from Crete. And to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you. 
to be of good cheer. Can't you just see the looks on some of their faces? This man is fried. Spiritual things make no sense to natural people. He said, be of good cheer, okay? For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. And this angel brought a word directly from the throne of God. And he said, Paul, don't be distressed. You've come this far. Don't you dare yield to anxiety. I've got a call on you to make it all the way to Rome. And you are going to make it. And I've sent my angel to give you a message. Fear not, Paul. It's kind of interesting to me. Every time an angel comes, he comes with a fear not, just about. Fear not, Paul. Feel not, fear not, John. Fear not, Alice. Feel not, fear not, Al. Fear not, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And lo... God has given you all of them that sail with you. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, he says, let's read verse 25 together. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Let's read it again. Wherefore, sirs. Now, before we read it one more time, there are some sirs that we must speak to. You think of what that sir might be? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. So he had the opportunity to be distressed, did he not? But what did he yield to? He yielded to the word of the Lord. Who did he yield to? He yielded to the word of the Lord instead of the things which he saw and the things which he felt. This is the spirit of faith. And I think that we can be hoodwinked into thinking, well, that was Paul and You know, that was Jesus and and that was Peter. And listen, friends, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, I want you to get this so badly. 2 Corinthians 4.13, let's read it together. We having the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Now let's break this down. The spirit of faith has been given to you in a measure that the time you were born again. It is not necessary for me or you to pray for faith. God has dealt to every man among us here in the Bay Area that are born of God the measure of mountain moving faith. 
This measure of faith is the same faith that God used when he said, let there be light. This measure of faith is the same faith that David had when he did exploits by taking Goliath down. This measure of faith is the same measure of faith that Joshua had when he led the children of Israel into the promised land. This measure of faith is the same measure that the Apostle Paul had when he said, I'm not yielding to that junk anymore. I'm only yielding to my God. You have the same spirit of faith. Now, let's pull that up there again. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. Paul had tantamount to something that was written when that angel came from the throne of God and gave him a word. We have 66 books of what is written. So we must find out what is written, believe what is written, and then begin to declare what has been written and what has been spoken. And God will move mountains out of our way. He will move storms to another place. He will move hurricanes to another place. He will move heaven and earth. To see to it that you make it all the way. Say it with me real strong. I have the spirit of faith. It's on the inside of me. My days of being distressed. Of tossing and turning. Of worrying and yearning. Of moaning and groaning. My days of yielding to the enemy my days are over now I close the door on all doubt I close the door on all worry and fear I'm done yielding to you devil and now I submit myself to God and to the word of his grace and I choose life and I choose God I choose to yield to the peace of God. I cast all my cares over on you. I boldly say, I'm fear-free, care-free, and worry-free. In the name of Jesus, somebody shout, I am free. You are free. There is no difference between the measure of faith that Brenda and I have and the measure of faith that you have. We didn't get a bucket full and you a teaspoonful. We've all got the same measure. The Bible says that it can grow exceedingly. You know, one, faith, your, one way that your faith grows is by developing your faith muscle and not yielding to the pain, not yielding to the sorrow, but yielding to God. Every time you choose life over death, every time you choose blessing over cursing, every time you choose healing over sickness and disease, every time you choose joy over sorrow, you get a little stronger. You, you, you get a little stronger every day. And I'm telling you what, it literally takes 
the blood out of the devil's head, he just freaks out. Oh, he, he's getting stronger. She's getting stronger. Say it with me, I'm getting stronger. Paul, right into the church of Thessalonica, said this. He said, your faith can grow exceedingly. And faith is developed through nourishment and exercise. Faith is maintained and fed by the Word of God. I can remember one time that I was on my way to Modesto to be on a television program, and I thought I had enough gas, but I didn't have enough gas, and I ran out of gas. Some of you think you might have enough gas in your spiritual tank, but don't be deceived. If you even get close to empty, you better gas up. You better tank up. You better get into the overflow. Because the devil's waiting on the side of the road saying, Aha, now I got you. You run out of gas, boy. Well, thank God a good Samaritan came by. A good Samaritan came by. I put my thumb out. He took me to the television station. Glory to God. We had TV and later I got the gas tank full. And God will send a good Samaritan to you too. Because he's faithful and he's good. But it's not God's best for us to go down the road of life and run out of gas. It's God's best for us to go down the road of life. Glory to God. Full and overflowing. With the power of God. And I want to talk to you for the balance of our time about the importance of feeding your spirit. F.F. Bosworth said, you know, most Christians live on... You know, four or five good hot meals a day, but feed their spirit about two or three cold snacks a week. That ain't us. This is a word church. This is a Holy Ghost church. This is a feeding station. Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which is way able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. Are you ready just to look at a few more scriptures? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4. And when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. It's important to know what is written. Man shall not live by what? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man should not live by natural bread, but they shall live by spiritual bread. He is the bread of life. The word of God is bread for your spirit. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What you're doing right now is you're getting food for your inner man. It gives strength and life to your spirit. Jesus is emphasizing special spiritual food. And spiritual things are much more necessary and important than natural things. My God is a spirit. Our good, good Father is a spirit. We're created in the image and likeness of God. We are spirit beings. And spirit beings are designed to be fueled by the Word and filled by the Spirit. For this day... And for this hour. Paul writing to Timothy, a young minister, said this. In 1 Timothy 4, 6. He said, if you will put the brothers in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister. 
You're looking at a good minister today because I'm reminding you. You will be a good minister. Now notice this. Nourished up in the words of fear and doubt. No. Nourished up in the words of faith. And of good doctrine. Whereunto thou hast attained. Faith words. Nourish you. And they feed your spirit. Nourished up in the words of faith. You know, in medical science, there's a terminology called anemia. There's two types of anemia. There's hemolytic anemia, which comes from people taking chemotherapy and their red blood cells get worn down. And so they have to take some Procrit to build up their red blood cells. But then there is anemia that comes from a lack of iron in a person's body. And so what they do with this anemia is they give them B12 and iron. You know, a good thing for you to do if you're a little bit of anemic is go over to Val's, over, order a ribeye, and just get filled up with the goodness of God. Amen. But they'll tell you to eat certain foods and take certain pills. Why? Because they are anemic. And I don't mean this wrong, and I don't mean it to be judgmental, but there are Christians by the millions that are starving spiritually. They're starving from spiritual anemia. And here's what happens over the course of time. When we don't feed our spirits on a regular basis, when we don't pray and stay in the presence of God, eventually all these hopes and all these dreams that we have, they begin to wane. And they get lower and lower. And then the strength that we had at one time, not overnight, but over the process of time, that strength begins to diminish and we can go to the gym and we can take all sorts of vitamins and we can work out but listen we're not talking about natural strength we're talking about spiritual strength be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might oh Jesus we must be fed and we must be fed something good I think Many preachers, if they had a nutritional label on their teaching, it would probably be like 50% opinion. 35% politics. And 15% filler. But that's not who we are. That's not our DNA. So if the service goes a little long according to religiousosity, just relax and chill. God has a purpose for you being here. He has a purpose for you being fed. He has a purpose for you being strengthened. We are in training. There's some big things ahead for us. But it's going to take spiritual, spiritually strong people to possess the big things that God's got for us. Going to take well-equipped soldiers, well-equipped athletes, well-equipped sowers. I'm 65 years old. I told Brenda yesterday on the way to the uh, the backpack outreach, not the Outback restaurant. I said, you know, I said, I'm 65 years old, but I'm telling you, I feel like I want to get out on that basketball court and just tear it up. Now, I I feel strong. Part of my nature is competition. Well, I'm not going to do that. 
But I got to thinking, yeah, but I can compete against principalities and powers. I can compete for the souls of men. I can be a good pastor and compete to be the best I possibly can be. We, we can compete against debt. We can compete. We can fight for one another. When one of us is hurting, glory to God, send in the spiritual green berets. Here's what the Bible says about the Word. Psalm 19.10 says this. The Word of God is more to be desired than fine gold, yea, than much fine gold. And the Word of God is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And I like honey. Psalm 119, verse 103. I don't know if we're tracking. Psalms 119, verse 103. Excuse me. How sweet are thy words unto my, what? O taste and see that the Lord is. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Read verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. And it gives understanding to the simple. The question I have is, can you taste words? I have, sit, I have sat at the feet of some of the finest teachers and preachers and prophets in the land from the time I was only 26 years old and now 65. I've sat at the feet of great men and women of God. And I've opened my Bible and literally taken a lot of money to go to seminars, a lot of money to be in meetings. But I've sat there not only with an open Bible and with an open heart. And God has filled me unto overflowing. But I know well enough this, that I cannot live on yesterday's manna. I must live on today's manna. But Brenda and I sitting in some of those meetings, it's like eating a six-course meal. Oh, oh, that's tasty. Mmm, that's good. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's some good food. Let, let, me, let me chew on that a while. Amen. And sometimes, you know, I've spit up. I, I couldn't handle it. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a time where I couldn't get to a point where I could handle it. I just kept coming. I just kept eating. I kept feeding. And all of a sudden... The darkness left my mind. The lights came on. And my life has been changed by simply coming to the table and then doing something with what I've heard. And you can do the same exact thing. Can you taste the word? Jeremiah 15. Let's look at that scripture. Jeremiah 15 verse 16. Somebody shout amen. Whoo, give me the word. Give me the move of the Holy Ghost. Give us miracles. Give us rain in the time of the latter rain. Give us running and shouting and dancing. At least we know what we're running and shouting and dancing about. It's not based on emotion. It's based on a person. It's based on the word. It's based on the Holy Ghost. Here's what Jeremiah said. I want to break this down. Thy words were first of all. So we must find the Word. And once we find them, we must do what? Eat them. And when we mix faith with the Word that we found and eat by declaring it, here's what the Word will do. 
Thy word was unto me, what? The joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now, Brenda Thomas makes the best chili I've ever eaten in my life. Last night I was sitting around the table and I said, it makes it very difficult to go out and have dinner because I get the best meals right here. She makes a chili that'll just make you happy. And a little cornbread to go with it. Not package style, southern style. Amen? You put a little cheese and onion on there, what time is it anyway? Now, I'll, ta- I'll sit back and i say, now that is some chili. Now that is some good word. Now that will stick to my ribs. I didn't come to church to get three points in a poem. Give me the word. Oh, taste and see. So the Word of God is something to get happy about. It's something to shout about. Peter said this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, the pure Word that we may grow thereby. Now here's the problem. I believe in having spiritual babies in the church. How about you? I mean, by the hundreds and by the thousands. But once we've been in the church for a while, we ought to get out of the nursery. Look around. I don't see a nursery in here. You see, the problem is this, is most people want to come to church and be served, but they never want to serve. I didn't say your name. (laughs) Just keep looking straight ahead. Maybe we better get off that, Sabrina, maybe. Job 23, 12, he says this. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Spiritual food is our priority. Now here's what happens. When you take on spiritual food as a daily dose, you will get stronger and you will stop yielding to the wrong things. And you will be able to yield to the right things. One last scripture. Turn with me to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. How many of you know what to do with destruction and famine? Anybody have their bills stack up like this? Perfect opportunity to be distressed. Right? But at destruction and at famine, we shall. Is there any power in laughter? But where does this joy come from? It comes from the Holy Ghost. But joy also comes from what you've been feeding on. Jesus said, these words have I spoken unto you that your joy might be full. Probably the greatest temptation that all of us have, probably 100%, 
is the temptation to be worried about finances. To be worried about the future. And what, if you yield to that, then here come the scenarios, the what-ifs. Have you noticed that the devil never presents to you the best-case scenario? He always presents to you the worst-case scenario, right? Because that's what he's the author of. But what if we were just not to yield to that? I mean, just, I mean, mechanical at first, it must be. And just get over here and say, oh, Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, devil. I'm sitting in the heavens and I'm going to laugh at you. Well, what are you laughing about? I'm laughing at you. Why? Because your day is coming. There's coming a day where your mouth is going to be shut for good. Now, here's what will happen. When you do this, when you get over in ha-ha land, I'm not talking about la-la land. You let the joy of the Lord rise up on the inside of you. Here's what will happen. God will envelop you with His presence. In His presence, there's fullness of joy for your life. Let's just try it on for size. I'll I'll be your spiritual tailor right now. For five seconds, let's just go ha-ha by faith. Ha-ha-ha. Ha-ha-ha. That's five seconds now. Don't get too carried away. Don't, don't get carried away with this stuff. We wouldn't want anybody to get too happy. <laughs> the devil tells you you're not going to make it. What are you going to do? The devil tells you you're going to die of that disease. What are you going to do? The devil tells you you ain't going to be able to pay your bills. What are you going to do? Devil tells you this nation is going down. What are you going to do? Your kids aren't going to make it. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now here's another truth added to that. You've got to know what you're laughing about. You, you, you know who you're laughing at. But you've got to know why you're laughing. And that's where the entrance of his word will give you light. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Man, you guys are listening good today and it's only 1227. You ought to shout about that. Amos Amos 8.11. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but this famine is of the hearing the words of of the Lord. That is the worst kind of famine. When a nation turns its back on God, when they kick Jesus out of the schools, and I'm not going to meddle, when we come to church and we're satisfied with a poem and spiritual opium, that makes the saints feel so good about themselves because they're so wonderful and they're so great. <laughs> Karl Marx, yes, the communist, he said, opium is the religion of the people. Religion is the opium of the people. So, 
what am I saying? I'm saying that not hearing the word of the Lord is the worst kind of famine ever. <laughs> Verse 12 says, And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. But that is not you. And that is not us. We have been blessed by God to be fed the word of God. We are not experiencing a famine in our lives or in this church. Come on, somebody. I am looking at King's kids today. King's kids that are going to? So you forgot. King's kids that are going to? And so as King's kids, why not just eat like King's? Why not just eat to the full measure of what God has provided for us? Amen. 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 Amen.